Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an easy breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An easy breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own easy breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit takechargeofyouair.com today. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Here's my shoulder for you to Uh, welcome to Really Good Chairs. I'm AJ. We're trying to expand the definition of recovery in this podcast. Like, drugs don't have to be the only thing that messed you up to qualify as a recovering person. Maybe it's booze or food or sex or a bad breakup or Bitcoin. Whatever's bringing you down. We're talking to people who've got a mixed bag of recovery, and our approach is a little crooked and cockeyed because recovery is never a straight line. And we also have Swamp Dog. That's who you hear, singing sweet songs to roll, roll, roll. Sorry about dog barking and moaning and whining. That's my dog, Nesta. He likes to pop in every now and again. Dogs are great. Today, we're talking about self-destruction, demoralization, redemption, ethical dilemmas and recovery, Big Bird, and heroin. Our guest is Dave founder of the Dopey Podcast. We bleeped his last name because if any of you are familiar with Dopey or Dave, he tries to maintain the illusion of anonymity. That's how things work in 12-step, at least. Quote, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of recovery, where the goal of members is to place, quote, principles before personalities. We'll get back to that later, so hold on to that notion. Say it again, principles before personalities. And also there's the issue of dwelling too much on past garbage. I'd like to reference the writer David Carr, who spent first portion of his media career basically being a crackhead. And then he flamed out, only to recover in 2002 as the media critic of the New York Times. And that's a position he held up until his death in 2015. Now, if you haven't read his memoir, Night of the Gun, I, I, I can't recommend it enough, first of all. But this quote in particular stuck with me. It was one I had running through my head whenever I listened to Dopey. Here's what it says. Avoid writing or reading junkie memoirs. Nothing doing here, nothing but triggers, keep moving. End quote. Now, he doesn't mention podcasts, but Dopey is full of all sorts of triggers. Now, a brief history of Dopey. 
After a 2011 stint in Mountainside Rehab in Connecticut, Dave met a guy named Chris, who he really liked. Chris had equally ridiculous, insane, death-defying stories from his drug-fueled days of yore. He was a bit younger than Dave, and yet they connected on a cellular level about idiot drug stories, like the worst stories, the ones Carr cautioned people against. Whereas crack was David Carr's drug of choice, Dave and Chris were terrible heroin addicts. And they knew that there were more people out there like them. Like they'd hung out with them, they'd gone to rehab with them. So they did exist. Dave and Chris decided to share their war stories and make it a podcast. They named it Dopey, and it advertised itself as a show that would explore the dark comedy of drug addiction. Here's Dave. I think I think in our thing, first thing was we didn't want to help anybody in the first place at all. Like that wasn't part of what we were doing at all. It was it was strictly to have a laugh. And to be like renegades and to make fun of each other. And like, I didn't think anybody was going to listen. Like part of me thought Dopey was going to be the biggest thing in the world. And most of me thought it was going to be nothing. Their show was as immature as the concept. And their early episodes were just the two of them using garage band and speaking directly into the microphone on Chris's laptop. It was inconsistent, boorish, mostly offensive storytelling and bullshitting from two guys whose discernible talent was expertise on how to screw up your life. But they'd survived. Yay. That was the overarching theme of the show, that they'd both lived to tell these tales. All the hijinks and stupidity and overdoses hadn't taken them out. David repaired his relationship with the mother of his young daughter and began to raise a family, mostly by working as a waiter at Katz's Deli. And Chris, well, Chris had become a counselor when he was on his way to get his PhD in psychology. There was hope for both of them. And, and my favorite thing to say about Dopey, and me and Chris would talk about it years ago, was if we made a show to make people get well or to help people, the show would have sucked and nobody would have gotten help. But if we made a show that was fun and entertaining, maybe the byproduct of the fun and entertaining would be that somebody gets something cool. And the show's audience began to pick up. Dopey didn't become the biggest thing in the world, but it built an audience, a loyal, rabid one who called themselves Dopey Nation. We'll hear more about the insanity of their fandom later on. But first, the, the hard stuff. After 142 episodes, both Dave and Chris began to believe that the show would actually succeed. Then episode 143 happened, and here's uh, Dave's intro to it. So, hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I am Dave. And um, for those uh, who aren't on Dopey social media, uh, the worst thing that could have ever happened, happened. And uh, Chris relapsed and died. And here I am alone at my dad's um, with one microphone plugged into the mixer with GarageBand open on my computer recording Dopey, which uh, I've never done. Every time we ever did it, Chris uh, would record it on his computer, and I would be able to futz around. Um, and now uh, this is going to be very weird. It's going to be very weird, and it's obviously very, very, very sad. On July 24th, 2018, Chris's girlfriend found him dead on the bedroom floor of their apartment. The autopsy found fentanyl, 
booze, benzos, and coke in his system. He was 34 years old. And out of Chris's death, Dopey became even more popular, thanks in part to a heart-wrenching This American Life piece titled Two Dope Kings, that at least for a couple weeks made the show almost as big as Dave imagined it. And that was weird for him. Well, Chris died, it like made the show much bigger. Um, and when he was alive, people would say, I can't wait till you guys relapse because it's going to be such a good show. Um, and, then, and then he did relapse, kept it a secret, and then he died. But Dave's still here. Uh, I mean, he has survivor's remorse every single day. Um, the third anniversary of Chris's death has just passed. But the show still goes on. Now, I'll be honest, Dave is one of the more turbulent addiction backstories that I've ever heard. I want him on the show and part of the Really Good Shares library because his journey of self-destruction to recovery is pretty incredible. It's also thoroughly entertaining. Uh, his story lets us know how important it is to accept yourself as a real screw-up and embrace all the lessons learned during that time period. Even if it's one as ridiculously messy as Dave's. One with lost jobs, several rehabs, blown friendships, and blood. Lots of blood. Like a one low point, Dave was living in L.A. with some childhood friends. Not only was I such a, a terrible roommate, terrible employee, terrible addict, I was also terrible at injecting heroin. So I would miss a lot of veins, and I was also untidy. So there'd be tons of blood all over their bathroom. And it was, it was fucking disgusting. And I didn't even realize that I was leaving the mess because <laughs> I was too high. And eventually they kicked me out of their house because the bathroom was covered with blood. And as far as dopey stories go, that one's kind of tame. I mean, the show is so many more from listeners and guests and Dave himself. So today, I asked Dave to tell us one of my favorite ones and to talk about the ego problems that come up when you share stories like this to an audience. And like, you might not have a podcast or a newsletter, but social media presents all the same pitfalls of ego and self-absorption. But remember what we set up top principles before personality. So what you're about to hear is a story Dave told on Dopey, become a massive hit with his listeners. Uh, it's a complete contradiction to what David Carr instructed too, since it probably qualifies as a total junkie memoir bit. But I love it. It's about the time Dave had to dress as Big Bird for a children's party and he was completely hopelessly strung out. Uh, I, I thought the story was so gross. But uh, also unforgettable um, and completely inspiring. Again, his audience did too. So here's Dave's really good share. I'm in my girlfriend's Saab, driving down the highway, and I'm scared to death. I'm driving in the middle of nowhere, outside of Los Angeles, around fields of, you know, soybeans or sand, some, somewhere desert meets farm in, in the wilds of Temecula and other counties like that. And I don't know where I'm going. And I happen to be going to a children's party that I was hired to perform at. It has to be made clear that this happened 
2005, 2006. And it has to be made clear that I was on crazy amounts of benzodiazepines, which are notorious for destroying your memory. I was on a huge dose of uh, methadone, which also kind of addles your brain. And I was on heroin, which is never good for recalling an activity. I'm wearing the shittiest Big Bird costume in the face of the earth. The best part of the costume were the big Big Bird feet, which are big orange boots with webbed toes. And then I have this disgusting, gigantic yellow tunic, but there's no tights between. And my legs are hairy and pimply. My co-pilot on my highway to hell journey was none other than Big Bird's sad head. And Big Bird's head uh, was probably the worst Big Bird's head ever manufactured. One eye was looking straight, the other eye was looking right. The, the feathers were like a sad, dread, sort of matted, shitty, plastic, cheap feather head. And it sat there staring at me as though it knew that I was taking it to a place it didn't want to go and that Big Bird never should be. The head was sitting on one of these old uh, Los Angeles Thomas guides, which were these arcane maps. But like, I can barely read a map and I'm late for a seven-year-old's birthday party and I have no idea of where I'm going. And there is no GPS and there is no uh, smartphone and, and I have no clue. And I was so anxious uh, that I wasn't gonna make it. Then I was also just kind of half sad and half laughing to myself that this was my life, that I was this total drug addict going to play Big Bird at a child's party. It, it could have been, in a better life, a really bad low. In my life, it was just kind of a, a low on the way to the next low. Because I'm a New Yorker, I waited to finally get to a light, and somebody pulled up beside me, and I said, I'm lost. Can you please tell me how to get to this place? And the guy just told me. Obviously, I wasn't there on time, but I was there early enough that the party was just kind of getting going. And it was a beautiful kind of ranch-style suburban house on a classic suburban street in California. You know, I'm just a total mess. But they're kind as could be. They're not upset. They welcome me into their house. I tell them I got lost and they accept it. You know, to them, everything is fine. To me, this is like a train wreck. And then I also stunk of cigarettes, which couldn't have been comforting to the family. I knew how old the kid was. I knew that I was gonna make balloon animals, of which I knew had to make three. I could do a dog, uh, a long-eared dog, which was a rabbit, a long-necked dog, which was a giraffe, and a sword, you know, I could do that. And I could be funny, you know? I knew that I could get through an hour and a half. They would play pin the tail on the donkey, they would play tag, they would play red light, green light. I could do that stuff and make it fun. As long as we didn't stop, I knew I would get through the party. 
It reminded me of like the TV show, The Wonder Years, like tables, dressed up, kind of classic kids party hats and nice colors, well-maintained grass, you know, like a, like a little playground in the back. I think I might have mangled up his, his beautiful childhood by being this piece of shit junkie Big Bird at his party. But the kids seem to have fun. When it was over, it was such a relief that I had gotten through it. Like, I remember that feeling. And I also remember thinking, oh, that wasn't so bad. The mother, she says, come inside. I'll get you a glass of water. Have a seat. And I said, oh, thank you. I was so grateful. Like that she, you know, she wasn't like, you freak. You've traumatized my children. And she got me a glass of ice water. And I was like, this is the greatest ice water I've ever had. It was air conditioned and dark. And it was kind of the end of daylight in the house. And it was just like exactly as you'd expect, like beautiful, like kind of like mirrors on the walls and nice art that isn't too nice. And it, and it's and a lot of pictures of kids, oranges and greens, that pleasant sort of dull smell of air conditioning and cleaning products. A well-lived in happy place. I think it was so much adrenaline with the children for the two hours and all the drugs in my system, all of that combined to me nodding out in their living room. And the mom woke me up for me to leave and paid me. She said, it must be hot under the big bird head. And it really was. I was covered in sweat. And all I really wanted was a cigarette. Like not only had I gotten through it and nobody had kicked me out and no kid pointed their finger at me and said, there's a freak, there's Frankenstein's monster, whatever. Instead, they had a good time. The mother paid me and I walked out of there and like a cool breeze went down the street. I approached the car and I opened the door. And when I sat down, I felt like I made it, like I survived. The weight of the world was off of me. And I put my key in the ignition and grabbed the cigarettes first. And I cranked the radio all in one motion, like a Kung Fu movie. I drove away and I let those mountains in the distance kind of make me feel like I was going off into the sunset. I don't remember if it was on when I just pulled away, but I remember chain smoking cigarettes and weed on the ride home and Credence Clearwater Revival, as long as I can see the light, came on. And I was probably singing along with John Fogarty at the top of my lungs, feeling like I was free. Put a candle in the window Cause I feel I got to move. Oh, I'm going, going. 
surprising news ever. Dave's account of being a doped-up children's mascot became one of the most popular ones in the show's history. And eventually it got merchandised by Dave. You know, you can actually buy socks with a nodding out big bird with hairy legs smoking a cigarette in an armchair. But the socks weren't actually Dave's idea. The interesting thing about that is I didn't ask anyone to make the graphic. I had hired a woman to do a different graphic and she did the, the different graphic, and her boyfriend was this crazy dopey fan. And then I was waiting tables at Katz's, and I get an email, and I look at it, and it's this hand-drawn picture of Big Bird on a chair with the hairy legs smoking a cigarette, and the smoke says dopey. And I got the chills, and I was like, holy shit, it's inspired. And, uh, it, and it wasn't my inspiration. That's why there's socks. That's why there's a T-shirt. And this isn't just late-stage capitalism. Dopey is a real deal thing. I mentioned Dopey's superfans, the Dopey Nation, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. It meant something to them. And when I put it on socks, everybody wanted the socks. And when I put it on T-shirts, that's the number one selling T-shirt. It strikes a chord because it... They, they, I think they bond with all of those elements, too, that it's this innocence gone bad and yet reclaimed in the redemption of recovery. I, I really think that's the thing. And at this point, like, as AJ knows, there's people with tattoos of Big Bird with uh, hairy legs on their bodies. And I'm like, I couldn't be more proud. They're getting tattoos. I mean, Dave's clearly doing something right. I always second-guess myself and wonder whether what I'm doing with this newsletter and with this podcast is, is good for me. Because it's not part of my recovery, but it is about recovery. Like, only one only works if I keep the other one up. If I don't practice recovery like I'm supposed to, then there is no newsletter or podcast. See what I'm saying? And I don't get bothered by the drinking or drug stories or anyone getting wasted. I mean, there are no triggers there, so to speak. But what does come up for me in these moments is one of my other, more subtle character defects. My addiction to adoration. You see, being adored was probably one of my first drugs. Like I was kind of a class clown early in school, climbing into trash cans and getting stuck in them, making fart noises in the middle of class leaning up against my chair just so I could fall over. So making people laugh is still amazing, but it activates the worst sides of me still. That class clown stuff is one way I used to get bad. But you know what feels really great? When people email me 
at the small bow and say, you helped me. I mean, that feels amazing. Like I've found this better drug, but it's not supposed to feel this good. It's activating my ego too much. And then there's the added element of commodifying it and creates this other tension, this other pang that I might be crossing some ethical line. Like, does this qualify as some sort of emotional or ego-based relapse? Uh, yes. Yes. Yes, it does. But progress, not perfection. I love David Carr, and his writing has helped me. I don't want to wallow in the mud and fetishize the worst moments in people's recovery journeys, but if we're talking about expanding the idea of recovery, Dopey's way of using war stories to connect is, is working for thousands of people. When I look back at that story, I, I mean, I, I don't feel badly about it. I look back at it with kind of delight, and it's kind of in the same spirit that I make Dopey, which is it was, it was pretty unbelievable story. It was, it was an adventure. It was absurdity. Again, this was 15, 16 years ago. It, it amazes me that it's my life, to be honest with you. My life is so different, I can't even tell you. You know, I'm staring into my backyard right now at my snow-covered garage. You know, like I, I have two kids and I have two jobs and I have a ton of responsibility. And I don't do drugs and I don't smoke. I do what I say now. I don't, I don't live the way I live then. But when I got into the car, I drove away with my windows down and I felt elated. I mean, like, will I tell my kids that story? Not for a long, long time. For me, it's a survivor's story. It's something that I survived and it's something that I got out of, you know, and I'm very, I'm proud of the whole thing, to be honest with you. Dave's taking some of his worst moments and, and offering them to people who know what it's like to be there and don't want to forget how bad they felt. Like to form a bond with strangers over the shared quest for survival is that's what matters the most, right? And even though his original intent was not to help people, well, he felt. There are 14 people in the world with dopey tattoos who will tell you otherwise. Next time on Really Good Shares, we'll talk to Megan Keister. I mean, her story does not involve Big Bird or heroin, but it's somehow more gross. Yet, like everyone else on this show, her worst moment helped me. And just a heads up, we're going to start releasing episodes every other week from here on out. So don't panic. We'll be back August 26th. If you get bored, you can just leave us a rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. So see you in two weeks. Swamp Dog Diggity Dang. Shares is hosted by me, AJ Delario. We're produced by Julian Weller, Jackie Huntington, and Jessica Kreinchich, with production assistance from Lindsay Hoffman. 
Our theme music is Everything You'll Ever Need by Swamp Dog. This episode, Swamp Dog covered Long As I Can See the Light by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Our executive producers are myself and Julian Weller. Special thanks to Mangesh Hatigater and Bethann Macaluso. Thanks again to Dave. Check out his podcast, Dopey, wherever podcasts are available. I think wherever you found this podcast, probably. Now, if you liked what you heard here, check out thesmallbow.com. That is bow as in bow and arrow and .com as in .com. Two weeks from now, we'll have writer and comedian... Megan Keister. Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an Easy Breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy. With basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An Easy Breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com today. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Boston Proper is for women who love distinctive style in styles that don't define them. Boston Proper designs are unique and made to fit flawlessly. Confident women wear Boston Proper as an expression of who they are, with chic, polished styling and unforgettable looks that get noticed anytime, every day, and on any occasion. When you want that certain something in everything you wear, wear Boston Proper. Shop at bostonproper.com and wear it like no one else.